Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Thank you so much. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. So last week we looked at Genesis chapter 1 and the first half of verse 1. I want to bring into our uh, study of Genesis this morning the second half of verse 1. And I just want you to know this, we're not going to take two weeks to study every verse of Genesis 1 through 11 as we go forward. It'll, it'll speed up a little bit, but Genesis 1-1 is the foundation of all Scripture. It's where every doctrine that we align ourselves with begins, and so we, I want us to just make sure we adequately lay this foundation, all right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So last week we studied uh, the phrase, in the beginning, God, and then in that we kind of broke it down, in the beginning, meaning this is the starting point of all things. This is when we began to measure time right here. And then we added, in the beginning, God, that he is the cause of all things, that everything started with God, okay? Um, the Bible uh, we, we refer to God as the uncaused cause. He is the only thing that has existed that was not brought into existence, all right? He is the cause of all things. And the main point that, that I wanted you to take away from last week uh, and this here in your notes this morning, look with me there at the, kind of the first sentence in your notes. Here's the, the main point of not only what we looked at last week, but what we're going to look at this week and going forward. Here, here, here's the main truth that, that I want you to commit to memory and conviction, all right? From the very first verse of Holy Scripture, we are brought face-to-face -face with a self-existent, eternal, infinite, omnipotent, personal God who is responsible for all creation. Now, understand this. That statement by itself will ruffle the feathers of many in our culture, okay? But it's true. From the very first verse of Scripture, we're brought face-to-face -face with this God. And, and here's, if you'll recall, here's what I said last week. We have to do something with this. We can't just leave it hanging out there. <laughs> okay, we have to do something with this. And so as we continue our journey through Genesis chapters 1 through 11, I'm looking forward to just unpacking all we see about this God and who he is and what he's done. And so we're told here in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The word created there is a, is a word in the Hebrew that literally means to create out of nothing. In other words, there was no matter, there was no material universe that God took pieces and parts and put it together. He created all of creation out of nothing. It's the word ex nihilio. You and I can make things, right? We can build things, we can construct things, we can invent things, but everything we build, everything we construct, everything we invent comes from existing matter. It comes from existing materials. Not so with God. There was nothing, and then God made everything out of that nothing. But then it says he created the heavens and the earth. Taken together, those two terms 
uh, refer to the entirety of the universe, the totality of creation, space and everything else, matter, all the above. In the beginning, God created. He created out of nothing the entirety of creation. Now, I want us to ask this question, and then we're going to try to look at this from, from Scripture's standpoint. When did this happen? When did God create the universe? When, how old is it? And does it even matter for our study? How relevant is it when we begin to say, when was the beginning? When, when did all this happen? Okay. Modern evolutionary uh, chronology uh, places the origin of the universe around 14 billion years ago. And the origin of man anywhere from three to six million years ago, depending on how you define man and modern man and so forth, all right? However, look with me in your notes, and then I'm going to kind of show you this from Scripture. A literal view of Scripture, okay? A literal view of Scripture supports a date of creation no earlier than 10,000 B.C., now, you may be thinking, why is that important? What difference does it make? We're going to get to that in just a moment, all right? So if we take Genesis and we look at Genesis from a literal point of view, and we look at what does God's Word say, then from today, creation, the universe, can't be any greater than roughly 12,000 years old. You say, well, how, how do we get there? Okay, listen carefully. The events of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 50, stretch historically from creation to the death of Joseph, uh, Jacob's 11th son, okay? If the genealogies in Genesis chapter 5 are taken as literal, okay, and we're going to get to that in a few weeks, and by, the Bible doesn't give us any reason not to take it literally, when it says Adam was 930 years old, we... We believe Adam was 930 years old when he died. There's no reason. Scripture doesn't give us any reason to not take it literally. Then the minimal period from the end of creation to Israel's captivity in Egypt would be around 2,500 years. And then if we take that 2,500 years and we add the 400 or so years of captivity, and then the 1,500 years from captivity to the end of the Old Testament... The 400 years when God was silent between the end of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then the 2,020 years uh, since, uh, you know, A.D., if we take those numbers, we come to a little, uh, somewhere around 8,000 or so years, give or take. So, the commonly accepted belief among uh, most conservative Bible scholars is that creation is between 10 and 12,000 years old. And here's what's very interesting. That has been the consistent position of biblical scholars, both Jewish scholars and Christian scholars, up until the early 19th century. Prior to that, it was never debated. It was just, we took Genesis for what it said, and we believed it, and so forth. Now, this argument is only true, again, it's only true if we believe the Bible says what it means and means what it says. So, for us, 
that begs the question, and we have to be honest about it. What do we do with the contradiction between modern scientific method of fossil dating, which again places the origin of the universe millions, uh, billions of years old in the, or, in, the, in the age of man several millions of years old? How do we reconcile that contradiction with the chronology of Scripture, which supports a creation no greater than 12,000 years old. What do we do with that? We gotta, we've got to do something with it, don't we? Okay. All right, so let's kind of get into that. Because modern scientific theory argues the earth is billions of years old, there are some in the evangelical camp, in the evangelical world, that's our world, that, that have espoused two primary theories um, to try to reconcile this, to try to handle this contradiction. I want to share those with you, and then we're kind of going to look at, look at what I believe Scripture shows us. The first theory is the gap theory. Now, I'm, I'm not, I hope I'm not getting too academic for you, but I think it's important that we understand this. The gap theory that some in the evangelical world support argues that somewhere between verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 1, um, there was this cataclysmic event, okay, that created a, 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 a universe that was formless and empty and darkness covered it. Now, the main purpose of that theory, again, is to try to harmonize what modern science is telling us and what the Bible is telling us. How, how do we harmonize that? And so some have decided, well, perhaps between verses 1 and 2, there were millions of years, and there was some great cataclysm cataclysmic event that, that changed all of creation, and then the next six days were a recreation uh, of that truth, a reconstruction of that truth. And again, the goal is to try to reconcile the Bible with what science is teaching us or espousing to us, this, this supposed um, proven idea of the age of the earth. So the gap theory is the first. The, the second theory that some have espoused is what's called the day-slash-age theory. That theory suggests that the term day that is used throughout Genesis 1 does not uh, necessarily refer to an ordinary 24-hour day, but it could refer to ages or eons or long periods of time. And again, the main purpose of that theory is to try to harmonize what science is saying and what the Bible says at its face. So here's what I like to do. Um, I want to just present some biblical arguments that would challenge both of these theories. And here's why I want to do it. I want you to, I, I want you to take Genesis at face value. And I'm going to tell you why that's important in just a few minutes. All right? So... Here are some biblical arguments against both of those theories that, that are becoming more and more popular uh, within our own evangelical world. Number one, look with me in your notes. Death was not a reality prior to original sin. Okay? Death was not a reality prior to original sin. L listen carefully. Fossils are records of dead things. Fossils highlight a world in which suffering, disease, and death were realities, all right? The, the fossil record, those fossils we've discovered all over the world, consist of the death of untold numbers of 
living things, plants, animals, human life, whatever it is. And so if we accept the scientific method that dates the world and humans as millions or billions of years old, then that world existed prior to Adam and prior to sin because we know the age of Adam. He was 930 when he died. We know when sin happened, Genesis chapter 3, okay? Now, that presents a major problem for us and undermines our understanding of the gospel. Here's why. The Bible teaches us that death became a reality, listen, only when sin became a reality. At that moment when Adam and Eve willfully rebelled against God's command and brought original sin into this equation, only then did sickness and suffering and disease and death become a reality. Look with me at Romans 5 and verse 12. Paul, writing to that church in Rome, says, Therefore, watch this, just as sin entered the world through one man, now we know that, we understand that, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sinned. This is something phenomenal that you and I need to understand. The universe knew nothing of death and disease and suffering and sickness prior to sin. Sin introduced those realities into God's creation. And so if we believe what the Bible says about the origin of sin and the consequences of sin, both spiritual death as well as physical death, okay? Uh, Melissa and I went to a funeral yesterday of a longtime friend. He died a physical death as a result of sin. Not, Not his specific sin, but sin. If we believe what the Bible teaches us about the origin of sin and the consequences of sin, all right, then we have to understand that suffering, sickness, disease, and death did not happen, did not occur prior to Adam and Eve. Now, why is that a big deal? Why is that significant? You ready? Listen carefully. Because none of these fossil records of death could have happened prior to original sin. None of these things could have happened prior to Genesis chapter 3. Again, remember, fossils are records of dead things. So they could not have died prior to sin if sin is what introduced death into our reality, all right? So that gives us this statement that you and I have to think through. Per the chronological timeline of Scripture, that means all of these fossil records that we're finding and discovering can't be any older than 12,000 years. Well, Pastor, you just argued with every Harvard graduate and Yale graduate and MIT graduate and all the above. You're right, I just did. And I graduated from a less than standard university on the west side of Alabama. You're right. But that's what the Bible says. So let me keep going. Prior to sin, the whole of creation was perfect. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. Sin messed everything up. Listen, there was no sickness, no disease, no death. There was no catastrophic weather phenomena before sin. No earthquakes, no volcanoes, no blizzards, no floods, no uh, tsunamis, no, no cyclones. None of that stuff existed prior to sin. The world was perfect. 
That's why Adam and Eve could walk around with no clothing and not burn to death or freeze to death. Everything was perfect. And sin messed it all up. Listen, that's why in Genesis 1, verse 31, the Bible says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. In church, everything will be very good again. The Bible is teaching us that there is coming a restoration of all things. That all of creation will be made perfect again when sin is no more. Acts 3, verse 21. Look with me what uh, we read in Acts chapter 3. Heaven must receive him, that is Jesus Christ, until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Revelation 21 gives us a picture of this when we see the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. And and let me just remind you of what it says. In this new creation, God will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. Grief will be no more. Crying and pain will be no more because those things have passed away. God will restore creation to its original intent like he did in the beginning. And all things, again, will be perfect. The curse of sin will be no more. So here's the challenge for us, all right? If we align ourselves with a creation that is billions or millions of years old, then we have to change our understanding of original sin and the consequences of sin. And now, all of a sudden, we have to change our understanding of the gospel. It affects the very gospel we believe in. That's the first argument I would propose to you, give you something to mull over and think about. Uh, The second is this. The language of the entirety of Scripture argues for a six-day creation. Look with me at Exodus chapter 20 and then Exodus chapter 31. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them, in six days. Exodus 31 verse 17. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. So the language used in Genesis 1 doesn't give us any valid reason for assuming anything other than a 24-hour day. Okay, let me show you that. The word that we translate day, the Hebrew word that is used in the original uh, translation of the original scriptures, is the word most often used throughout the Old Testament and in everyday Hebrew conversation to refer to an ordinary 24-hour day, okay? That is its primary meaning. Yes, like many of our words, there are other secondary meanings to the word, but its primary meaning is an ordinary 24-hour day. In Genesis 33, verse 13, we see this language used again. Jacob is speaking, and look at what he says here. My Lord knows that the children are weak, He's, he's, he's trying to flee from Esau, just so you understand the context. And I have nursing flocks and herds. If they are driven hard for one day, it's the same language, the whole herd will die. Numbers 11, 19 and 20. God saying to the Hebrew people, you will eat not for one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. Remember, they were complaining about not having enough to eat. And so that language clearly points to just an ordinary day, all right? Now, here's what's very interesting. 
There are five other Hebrew words whose primary meaning refers to ages or eons or generations or long periods of time. There are five other Hebrew words that, that Moses could have used in Genesis 1 that would have clearly spoken to a long period of time. Okay, He could have said in, 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 in verse, for example, verse 5, evening and there was morning one eon, one generation, one so forth and so on. But he didn't use any of those words. He used the word whose primary meaning is an ordinary 24-hour day. Let's keep going. Paul's teaching supports a literal view of the creation account, all right? If we study the writings of Paul, it's very clear in many different places that he, he believed literal, uh, Genesis to be the literal account of creation. In Acts chapter 17, we're going to look at this again in, in just a moment, but he made this statement to, to those at the Areopagus in uh, Athens. He says, For one man, he, from one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries where they live. Paul's teaching okay, clearly excludes this idea of, of any biological ancestors prior to Adam. It doesn't even figure into the biblical narrative. Number four, Jesus' teaching supports a literal view of the creation account. Look with me at Mark chapter 10 and verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And so a plain language view, okay, of Mark chapter 10, verse 6, suggests to us that Jesus taught that all humans came from an original male and female pair and that they were created at the beginning of creation. It's interesting that Jesus' words in Mark 10 echo, echo Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, Jesus says, from the beginning, okay? And so Jesus teaches and understands Genesis from a literal view. He rejects this idea of any pre Adam and Eve, uh, human ancestors of, of any sort, and he positions their creation chronologically in the beginning of time, as opposed to millions and millions of years into it. So, uh, let me just recap real quick. Number one, remember, fossils are records of, of dead things, and since death was not a reality until after sin, None of these things could have lived prior to Adam and Eve, okay? That alone eliminates the idea of millions of years from our discussion. The Hebrew language used by Moses to denote a day is best understood from its use in Scripture and its use in everyday Hebrew conversation to refer to an ordinary 24-hour day. Yes, it, it, at times it can be used to refer to something else, but it is much less common. Number three, Paul believed in and taught a literal view of Genesis 1. Jesus taught a literal view of Genesis 1. And so, you and I are challenged. And here's where we're challenged. If we're willing to swim upstream against these points, <laughs> it's going to be really difficult for us to defend other doctrines 
as we get further into it. And here's why. You ready? Listen carefully. Genesis is the foundation of every doctrine we believe. Its roots are deep in Genesis. The doctrine of who God is, the doctrine of redemption, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of eternity, the doctrine of heaven, the doctrine of hell, the doctrine of judgment, and so forth. They're all deeply rooted. We just sang of the doctrine of grace. It is deeply rooted in Genesis. And so if you and I begin to entertain this idea that maybe Genesis, maybe we shouldn't take it literally, all of a sudden we begin, by implication, we begin to introduce doubts on every other doctrine of, of our faith. And friends, that is an incredibly slippery slope that none of us want to venture down, all right? Here's why it's important. Here's why I wanted just to, to, to teach on this this morning. If we can't trust what the Bible says about creation, can we trust what it says about anything else? I mean, really, that's the question we've got to ask ourselves. If we can't trust what it says about the origins of all things, can we trust what it says when it speaks to all those other things I just mentioned. So let me kind of wrap this up here. Let me try to conclude it. So I asked this question earlier, and I haven't answered it. What do we do with the contradiction between the clear statements of Scripture and the scientific method that is contrary to Scripture? What, what do we do with that contradiction? I'm not a scientist, I'm not a biologist, I'm not a physicist, I'm not a geologist, I'm not a chemist. I, I understand that. So what do we do with that contradiction? One of the major problems that we have and that's existed from the Garden of Eden is this. Oftentimes what man does is we, we start outside of God's Word and then we try to figure out how God's Word fits the outside, right? That's what we do. We start with whatever's going on out here, and then we said, okay, how does the Bible fit here? We need to remember this. Are you ready? That the Bible is the Word of God. It is the inspired Word of an almighty, infinite, eternal, unchanging, perfect God. The Bible is greater than any amount of intellect or understanding you and I can put together outside of it. And so, therefore, for you, and, for you and me, we have to start with God's Word. That's the foundation from which we look at everything else. If we don't start here, then we're starting on a faulty and flimsy and incorrect foundation. What is, God, what, 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 what is the story of creation? Let's start with God's Word. What, what, what is marriage? Let's start with God's Word. What, what, how do we parent? Let's start with God's Word. How do we find our purpose in life? Let's start with God's Word. What, what, how do we understand human sexuality? We start with God's Word. How do we understand eternity? We start with God's Word. How do we understand redemption and reconciliation and, and, and so forth and so on? We start with God's Word. That's where we start. And are you ready for this? We don't have to explain all of the details. I mentioned last week, if you and I could explain 
the exact manner in which an almighty God brought creation into existence, then he's not that big of a God. We don't have to do that. It's exactly the approach that Paul took in all of his writings, that Peter took in all of his writings and all of the sermons. It's the exact approach that, that Jesus took. Read through the New Testament. They always started with Scripture. They always started there and then allowed their, their argument to be built from Scripture. See, folks, listen, we argue from Scripture. We don't argue to Scripture. And there's a big difference. We argue from Scripture. In Acts chapter 17, I mentioned it earlier. We're not going to go into detail, but if you'll look beginning in verse 19 there, Paul is in Athens, and he's found his way to the Aragopas. And then he begins to argue with all the philosophers of his day. And if you'll notice what he does, he always start, he starts with the Word of God, and he starts with creation. Isn't that interesting? Paul starts with creation, and he builds this argument. And he builds an argument all the way up to this. Are you ready? You and I were created to worship God, and God's calling us to repent of our sin and surrender in faith to a risen Savior. That's how he ends his argument. <laughs> he starts in creation. He says, let me tell you about this God that you, you've claimed is an unknown God. He, he's not unknown. He's knowable. And he created all of creation. And he brought all of this into existence. And he created us to know him and worship him. And he's calling on you today to repent of sin and surrender in faith to a risen Savior. And the Bible says those who heard the resurrection, some jeered and turned away and then others believed. And it's the same message we preach today. And so I, I mentioned to you the very first note there in your notes, something vitally important. Here's the second that I want you to leave with today. You ready? Look with me in your notes. We stand on God's word in all matters, regardless of what the world says. It is the only sure foundation. It's the only sure foundation. Because at the end of the day, are you ready for this? It is a matter of faith. Look at your scripture memory verse. By faith, not by fact, not by scientific evidence. I'm not implying that we don't incorporate that. But at the end of the day, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what was seen has been made from things that are not visible. By faith. By faith, we believe. I can't tell you how it happened. I can't tell you if God created a mature oak tree or a sapling. I can't tell you if God created a mature elephant or a baby elephant. I, I don't know. But here's what I do know. In the beginning, God, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for the privilege to worship you in song. Thank you for the privilege to study your word together, Lord. And as we dive into this, Lord, and as we continue to, to journey through truth that is, quite honestly, Lord, truth that is laughed at and mocked and jeered and criticized by the world we live in, Lord, let us be bold and fearless to stand on your word in all matters, Lord, regardless of what the world around us says. Let us stand on your word. Let us die, if necessary, on that truth, Lord, and not vacillate 
not back down. Let, it, let us be like Paul and Peter and Timothy and Titus and James and John and the others. Let us be like Jesus. For your words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not your word. And let us stand upon it, Lord, boldly and courageously, not arrogantly, but boldly and courageously, trusting you to move through your word. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered in faith to the truth of God's word that Jesus Christ is God's son, that he sent to this earth to die on a Roman cross, uh, an instrument of death and torture and shame, who who rose from the dead on the third day, defeating sin, and is victorious and is coming again. The Bible says that salvation is found in no one else other than the name of Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and it's time. Today is your day to say yes to Jesus, to surrender in faith to him. It is the single greatest and most important decision any human being can make. And I would encourage you, if the Holy Spirit of God is overwhelming your heart and your mind right now, and you, you know it, you can feel it, he's calling you to Christ. Say yes to Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for this opportunity again to study your word together. Be glorified, be magnified, be exalted in these final few moments. Do what you want to do, Lord, in us and through us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. I want to invite you to stand.